Well, welcome back to Behind Closed Doors. And this is a series that maybe you're just visiting tonight. Let me just tell you what we've been doing is several weeks ago, several months ago, we submitted a bunch of questions that kind of ended this sentence. What does God say about or what does the Bible say about? And then you filled in the blank. And so over the last few weeks, we've been asking God some questions because he said, Jesus actually said, seek and you will find, knock on my door and it will be open to you. God wants to teach us what he wants for our life. And most of the questions, at least the the majority of questions were about love and about relationships, about sex and about intimacy, just about the the big things of life. So we've been asking him some really tough questions. But I'm going to be really honest with you right right up front. um, I have all the same questions. All right. I, I, I haven't worked all this out myself, but here's the truth is that most of the time when I ask God questions, I'm pretty sure what he's going to say before I ask him. Anybody? All right. It's not like I'm really looking for new information and going, oh, well, I didn't know that's how you do it. I mean, I'm saying, most of the time when I ask God questions, I kind of know what he's going to say already. Most of my questions have other questions behind them. They're kind of bigger questions that really kind of get to the point of what I'm really asking. The main question is, can I trust you, God, with my life? And, Here's the other question is, um, is your way better and why? I mean, I, I'm doing my life this way, but you say this is better. Why is that? And here's the last question. Even if I agree with you that that's a better way to live your life, is it reality for me? Is it even possible for me to live the life that you're describing? I mean, listen, it, God, listen, given my life and my choices and my resume and my track history, I'm telling you, realistically, could I ever have a life even close to the life that God talks about in the Bible? Right? I mean, the first week when, when, when Scott got up here and, and described bedroom door, this God's plan for our sexuality, you know what? I, I, I didn't you know, ask, is that how you do it? My question was um, not do I want that for my life, it's how do I get that for my life? Or is it even possible? A couple of weeks ago when we looked at broken doors, about, I didn't have a lot of questions about, hey God, is that allowed or is that not allowed? What's in bounds, what's not? I, I, I know, okay? I don't need anybody to tell me I'm a sinner. I, I pretty much know that. My, my questions are, are this, hey, Will you still forgive me, and can you help me forgive myself? And last week, we had a pretty tough one in here. Uh, the topic was homosexuality, but the bigger question asked was, it really didn't have anything to do with your sexual orientation. Is heterosexual or homosexual? The, the question is, um, am I willing to follow God on something that I don't really feel? Can I trust God with something bigger than my own feelings? Do, or do I trust my flesh, even though I think it might betray me and this world rips me off? Can I really believe that God's still good? In spite of how horrible my life is some, sometime. And that brings us to this fourth door tonight. And this door is our motel door, all right? Motel door. And, and here's what I, I, I think that this is the perfect analogy, metaphor, whatever, for what we're going to talk about today. Because here's the thing about motels. They're not real. I mean, they're real. They exist. I mean, they're all over the place. But what I mean they're not real is that everything in them is an illusion. I mean, when you go to a hotel, it's trying to be something it's not. It's trying to be home. I mean, all the slogans that I looked up online, almost everyone had the word home and home away from home or welcome home or we'll leave a light on or there's a whole bunch of these, but come on home. But it's really not my home. I love staying in motels because it's kind of like home, but without all the rules, without all the responsibility. I mean, for one low price, I can check in and I have my own little private world. I walk in. This is what I do. I I walk in. I check the closet for for killers, for murderers. (laughs) Then I take the bedspread off so I don't get hepatitis. All right. Because I saw that documentary. It's like some elephant exploded in the room. But anyway, I, I throw that off. But after that, you know, the world is mine. 
I can do any, anything I want. I watch TV, which has much, many more channels than I have at home. I surf the internet. I can mess up both beds. This is just awesome. I can leave my clothes and my towels and my trash on the floor. I can spill my drinks. I don't have to lift the lid. I don't even have to flush. I do, but I don't have to, you know. And, uh, and here's the thing is that when I leave and I come back, someone's cleaned it. It's all, and they put candy on my pillow. That's never happened at home. Never, ever, ever. And here's the, the best part. Tomorrow, I can just drive away. I can just get in my car and just leave, you know. And you know what? I can check into another motel tomorrow and not feel guilty. I don't have to call yesterday's hotel manager and go, it's not you, it's me, you know, or, uh, or I'm just moving on with my life, you know. No, I just move on. I just, just check out. Now, here's what I say. You know what? That's kind of cool if we're going on vacation or going on a business trip, but it's a horrible way to live your life. This illusion that I'm talking about tonight. As a matter of fact, God says that most of the dysfunction, most of the problems and pain that happen in our life is because we buy into an illusion that's not real. We trade something in for something that's not real. If you have your Bible with you, if you have your program with you, we're going to look at a couple sections of the Bible tonight. This comes out, if you, if you have your own Bible, go to the very end of the Bible and then go backwards about 50 pages to this little bitty tiny book called 1 John, okay? And 1 John is a letter to this guy named John who, who's actually an eyewitness, hung out with Jesus, was one of his friends. Uh, he was, I mean, really good, tight with Jesus. And, and he writes these letters to these, these, these Christians in, in these little bitty churches in what's now modern day Turkey. And Last January, I, I used the, the verses we're going to look at right now, and we applied that to how to use your money and how do you, you know, spend your life, but they really apply to this, this uh, motel door thing we're going to talk about tonight. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. 1 John chapter 2, speak of it in verse 15. It says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, this time out here. John's not saying don't love the earth, you know, don't take care of the planet, don't love people, No. The word world there, if you want to write this down in the margin, like literally means cosmos, which stands for this. Don't, don't love the standards of this world. Don't, don't run your life by the operating system, the ways of this world. And what we're going to see is that, is that God makes it really clear. There's two ways to live your life in, in, in this world. What John's saying is don't choose the decaying world's standard or expectations of that's how I'm going to run my life. Don't love that. Don't love the world. Don't, don't, don't embrace that. Don't climb into bed with, well, that's just how life works today. He says, don't, no, don't do that. And here's why. Look at the next verse. Because everything in the world, and he's going to say, let me kind of talk about everything in the world, like the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, that's everything in the world, comes not from God, but from the world. The world's producing this and kind of exporting it into your life. The world and its desires Pass away. They fluctuate. They're here and then they're gone. But the man who does, the woman, whatever, who does the will of God, that goes on forever. That lives forever. Now, if you want to write some notes, let me kind of break that down. Everything in the world, like the cravings of sinful men. Let me tell you what that translates out. It's um, that internal desire that says, I know I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Anybody have that? Okay. Like the wet paint. Yeah, it's wet. You know, he's like, yeah, I just can't. You know what? I know I shouldn't do this. I know I shouldn't go over there. But there's this part of me that just wants to. Says that's like the cravings of, uh, of all of us, all right? And the lust of, of the eyes. Or literally, it looks like this. I saw it and I wanted it. I didn't want it until I saw it. As a matter of fact, I didn't even know it existed until I saw it. But now I've seen it. I can't live without it. Anybody? Christmas is coming. I'm telling you. This is how we live our life. Isn't it amazing how in one conversation, one person... One image passes before our eyes and immediately we just get really dissatisfied with what we already have. And we didn't even really want it until we saw that or her or him. 
And we're sure, if I could just have a newer one, a nicer one, a brand new shiny one, then I'd be happy. And that works when you're a little kid with toys and later with cars and big screen TVs and families, people. Yeah, saw something better. I think I want something better. Or the boasting of what he has and does. There's this tendency in, in my life, in your life, to hinge my identity on what I own and what I do. You can call it insecurity, you can call it arrogance. I am the same thing as my rank and my title and my resume and my possessions. And that kind of transfers over to life like this. Because of who I am, because of what I've done or what's been done to me, I deserve that. Because of who I am, you ought to do that for me or this ought to happen or I, I deserve a certain level amount of performance in my direction or, or reward. You should do this for me. I should be able to do this for myself because of who I, who I am. And this is what John says about that. That didn't come from the Father. God didn't put that in your life. That comes from the world. And the world and its desires, temporary, they pass away. But there's another way to live your life. It's the will of God and it lives forever. This is what we're talking about, this motel room thing, all right? There's this system. There's this illusion. It doesn't come from God. It comes from the world. But it's not real. It's not real and it doesn't last. And even if you get it, it'll fade away. It'll depreciate. Everything you pursue in this room or in this world is as different as the difference between your home and a motel. Isn't that true? Let's just, let's just take a time out. Isn't that, isn't that true? Just think back over your life, your biggest oops moments or your uh-oh or I wish I hadn't done that or if I could push rewind and do that one over, I would do that one over. Can't that be traced back to one of those things, three things? I knew I shouldn't do it. I knew I shouldn't have done it. But I just did it anyway. What were you thinking? I don't know. I wasn't. Or I saw it and I had to have it. I saw her. I saw him. And I couldn't think about anything else. It's like I had this tractor beam just pulling me in. I'm telling you, it's like I, 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 once, once they got in my face and my eyes, they, I couldn't think about anything else. Or just basically, I, mean, I just thought to myself, screw it. I'm going to do what I want. Whatever happens, happens. So what I want to look at tonight is, is this question. How do you live in this world but not operate like this world. Because, you know, we, we talked a couple weeks ago, it would be great if God saved us and you came out of the water and went, go to heaven. That would be great. But how do you live here for the next, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 years and live in a world but not act like it? I want to look at a story in the Bible. It's probably one of the most famous stories in the Bible. Um, and you're going to see all three of these operating systems in play. If you have your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 39, all right? And let me kind of tell you this story. There's this guy named Jacob. Later he changes his name to Israel. Ta-da, the country, all right? So his name's Jacob, he changed his name to Israel, and he has 12, 12 sons, all right? Now, let me tell you a little bit. Jacob apparently was fertile, but he wasn't a great father, okay? So he could produce kids, he just couldn't raise them very well. And Jacob loved his youngest son, Joseph, more than all the other 11 sons. And he didn't make no secret about that. He spoiled him, he gave him special gifts and things like that. And the other 11 guys, they hated him. They hated him. And, and I gotta be honest with you, Joseph, he didn't handle the situation very well. A couple times at dinner, he said, hey, hey, guys, listen, all right, I had this dream last night where, like, all of you guys bow down to me, and I'm, like, king of the world, and you're, I'm, like, God, and you're, like, nothing, all right? And they were, like, you know, throwing food at him, stuff like that. So, anyway, this goes on and on and on and on, all right? So, it's, it just didn't go well. One day, Joseph's about 17 years old, and his dad sends him out into the fields uh, to check on his brothers, and they see him coming, and they're, like, Let, let's get him. Let's just kill him, and so they throw him down in this well and they plan on killing him, but then they decide to make some money off of him. So they sell him to some slave traders and take his coat and put blood all over it and say, hey, dad, an animal ate, ate your son. Now, you know, you think your family's dysfunctional? 
You know, next, later in a couple of weeks, when you're sitting around the Thanksgiving table going, this is so jacked up, it could be worse. <laughs> just goes, at least it's not Joseph. All right, all right, all right so <laughs> just remember that. That's the only thing you get out tonight. Anyway, the slave traders, they take him off to Egypt and they sell him to this guy named Potiphar. And, and he does really well. He starts as a slave and now he's like, like the head butler. He's in charge of the whole estate. Now let's pick this up in verse six, six. chapter 39, verse six. This is a great story. He says, so he, Potiphar, left in Joseph's care everything he had. Or he started as a slave. Now he's like in charge. With Joseph in charge, Potiphar did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Tough light, all right? Now, Joseph, and this is important, Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master Potiphar's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Very subtle, all right? So now, let's kind of review this scenario here. You got Joseph, all right? You got this 17-year-old kid. Maybe, maybe he's 19 by the time this happens, all right? All right, raised in a pretty dysfunctional home. His dad had gone through several marriages. The one he has now is Working out pretty well, but it was a long road. And Joseph, he's a brat. He's a little spoiled, a little arrogant. And uh, he's got the whole world handed to him. And then life takes this turn and life falls apart. And now he's lonely. He's young. He's healthy. Everything's working. He's well-built and handsome. And here's the hard part. He's out of town. Now, let's look at this Potiphar's wife, okay? There's some, they didn't say a lot about her, but if you study culture, you can make some conclusions about Potiphar's wife. She's married to a very successful, powerful man. He, he works directly for Pharaoh, so very rich, powerful man. It's pretty safe to say she's a trophy wife. But once he gets tired of her, he just gets a new one. So there's this beautiful trophy wife. And the story says that, that Potiphar wasn't concerned about anything except his own food. Translated, translated he's a pretty selfish guy. Going off and doing his own thing and satisfying his own needs and, and pretty inattentive to, to her. And I think it'd be safe to say he left her at home and she was, she was lonely. She's not shy though, all right? She's, this is, what we're talking about tonight is not a guy thing, okay? It's not. She doesn't just drop a hint. She's, you know, she, doesn't, she, you know, she goes up and she goes, listen, I'm not looking for a husband. I got one. He's rich, richer than you, all right? I'm not looking for a relationship. I'm not looking for commitment. I'm not looking for meaning. You know what? I just want to have sex this afternoon, in or not. This has never happened to me, by the way. But anyway, <laughs> I just want... Now, see, you got a perfect recipe for disaster here. You got two people, all right? <laughs> Sorry about that. You got two people. And I'm glad that's never happened to me. Thank you, Lord. All right, but anyway. <laughs> you got two people going, you know what? My life hadn't turned out the way I wanted it to turn out. The people that were supposed to be there for me aren't here for me. I mean, why not try to grab a little happiness while I've got it? I mean, get something for myself. I mean, who would blame these people? I mean, even if it's wrong, even if it's dangerous, sometimes danger's better than loneliness, right? Some of us been there? Sometimes a little excitement. Even though it backfires on us, I'm telling you, it's better than just sitting and being by myself. Let's pick up the story. But Joseph refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against who? God. Now, what do you expect me to go sin against Potiphar? I mean, how can I do something? Potiphar, you know, I was a slave and he could treat me like a slave, but man, I'm like his son now and he's put me in charge and and I'm eating well and I see the other slaves, they don't have what I'm going, you know, no, no. He says, no, no, listen, I I get this. I I get this. I'm not my own. I I, I belong to God. I made some mistakes, but I, I belong to God spiritually and physically. 
Maybe he's listened to the CDs from the last couple of weeks. Listen, I'm not, this isn't just a, you know, God and I love each other. Yes, I do. You know, it's a physical thing. And he says, I can't do this to God. He doesn't say, um, I'm sorry, Mrs. Potiphar, you know, you're ugly. No, you know, or I'm not attracted to you, or I'm not in the mood, or I just am not into sex. He didn't say that, okay? He's 17. He's into sex, okay? Already so, it's on his mind, all right? But you know what? He says, no, 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 no. Joseph knows this. Um, there's two operating systems here. He's got two things on the table. My feelings and the promises of this world, but they, they fade away, don't they? They depreciate. And then there's this other thing. It comes from God. I got to choose. And Miss Potiphar, she doesn't give up. Look at this. Though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or, and I underline this part, or even be with her. See, temptation is not this one-time thing. I remember about 10 years ago, I was tempted and I said no. And you know what? It never knocked on my door ever again. Anyone? No, 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 no. It's, it just doesn't work like day after day. She, she would say to him, come on, come on. No, no one's going to find out. My husband's out of town. We're not going to get caught. I'm telling you, no one will ever know. And every day, day after day after day, Joseph had to choose all over again to refuse her. Refuse literally means to turn down the offer. But not only did he say, I'm not going to have sex with you. He knew not having sex, not having an affair, that wasn't enough. He says, I got to go further with this thing. I got I to get out of your presence. He refused. He did everything in his power to never be near this woman. Now, time out. We're going to have some, a couple really hard teaching moments tonight, okay? So I'm going to ask you to stick to the end, and, uh, and, and I, think, I think it'll pay off at the end for you. But here's, here's, here, here's a hard thing, all right? Why is this so important, this underlying part? Why not even be with her? Why, why is that? And here's why. There's some things in your life you can't fix with a conversation with an apology, with a promise, or even a prayer. Now, listen, God will forgive us for everything we've done. Okay, I don't want to take that away, all right? But there are some lines, at least in this world, that once you cross them, you can't uncross them. Once something is said, you can't pretend that it was was never said. You can't act like something that happened never happened. You can't pretend that this doesn't matter. Why? Because what we talked about the last couple weeks, because sexuality... Even near misses are in a category all on their own, even if you didn't ask for it. What do you mean? You, you know what I mean. I'd say there's a lot of us in this room who know exactly what I mean, but let's just, let's just roll on this. Let's just, let's just go for this, all right? Let's, let me tell you what's at stake. There's a certain level of conversation, of humor, of flirtation, of sharing, of disclosing yourself, of suggestion, of invitation that's intended to be shared with one person on the planet, and that's the person you're married to. And if you share that or go there with anyone else, it changes that relationship forever and you can't go backwards. You can't take the card off the table and say, let's just forget that never, ever happened. It's not possible. Do you, if you were here three weeks ago, Scott talked about this door. He called this door naked and ashamed, uh, naked and unashamed. And naked didn't mean we just don't have our clothes on. Naked means this, literally. I'm revealing to you the most intimate parts of my life. I'm not talking about physical parts. I'm talking about my soul. I'm telling you who I am. I'm sharing you my deepest, most private parts of my life. In my opinion, that's the hardest, toughest part about recovering from an affair. It's not the sex. That's tough, but that's not the hardest part. It's the realization that your husband or your wife became intimate with, became one with, opened up their hearts, shared themselves, gave themselves to somebody else long before they climbed into bed together. 
That's the toughest part. And you can't pretend it didn't happen. You can't just, you know, go, all right, I promise I'll never do it again. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Let's move on. Can we just forget about this? Just going to be honest with you. God can, but he's healthier than I am. He's stronger than I am. And it's going to take me a while to work through that. If I ever do. Just being honest with you. See, let me tell you how, let me tell you what's at stake. Jesus himself said, this, this is how tough affairs are. Jesus said, and we're going to talk about this next week. People are running off to divorce court and ditching their marriage vows left and right. And that's not what God had in mind for us. We're going to talk about that ne- next week. But Jesus said, now, now listen close. If there ever was a reason to get divorced, marital unfaithfulness, sexual affairs, that'd probably be the reason. He's not saying that if you have an affair, you should get a divorce or you ought to get a divorce. And that's not what he's saying at all. He's just acknowledging this. And all of us have been there know this. Even if you have God in your life, it's almost impossible to recover from an injury that deep, isn't it? It's tough. It's tough. And I, you know, I don't know if Joseph thought it through that far. You know, I, I don't know if he thought, you know, someday I'm going to have a wife and on our wedding night, I want to be a virgin. I don't think that probably went through his mind. I don't think he thought, well, this could probably break up Mr. and Mrs. Potiphar and their kids. It would be devastating to them. I don't, you know, I, I don't know if that even went through his mind. Here's what he said. I have two choices. Committing adultery. Sleeping with somebody that belongs to somebody else. Certainly doesn't belong to me. Or trusting God. I, I'm choosing God. Let's keep reading this story. He says this. One day, Joseph went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. You see it coming, don't you? You know what's going to happen. She, Potiphar's wife, caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand, and he ran out of the house. You know what? Even if you're doing your best to follow God, you ever get ambushed? Yeah, you're doing everything right. And in an unguarded moment, boom, there it is right in front of you. You can do everything in your power to refuse and temptation hunts you down. What do you do then? Joseph did what Paul wrote to us over the last, he wrote hundreds of years later, but it's the same thing that he told us to do. When you're confronted with something, you're going, there's part of me that actually wants to do this. And I know it's outside of God's will for my life. What am I going to do? And here's the answer. You run. You run, you run the opposite direction. And that's what Joseph did. He ran, he did the right thing. He dropped everything, including his, his shirt. He left everything behind and it cost him everything. If you keep on reading there, he loses everything. This woman, she's humiliated, so she lies. She says, Joseph tried to rape me and he loses his job and Potiphar has him thrown in jail all because he did the right thing. He did the right thing. Doing the right thing doesn't mean that life's going to get easier. It'll probably get harder, much more difficult. But keep reading the rest of the story. Read this tonight when you get home. God takes care of him, and eventually he gets a better job, and he gets a great family, and God even heals up the things between him and his brothers who threw him in a, in a well. So God always takes care of you. He didn't fix everything, make it all easier, but he always takes care of you. Now, here's the, 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 the tough part of this, okay? That's just the story. Let's apply this. What do you and I do when we find ourselves in a motel room door opportunity? What do we do when we find ourselves going, you know what? I haven't gone in yet. Or maybe I have. But I'm trying to decide if I'm going to go in again. And I know I, I, don't, I don't know what to do. I want to go in, but part of me says I don't want to go in. And what, what, what do you do then? You write, write this down, okay? First thing is, you got to think. 
You got to use your head. You got to think right. You got to think right. What do I mean by that? You got to stop and ask this question. Okay, not what I feel or what, what, what's, you know, is this, is what's true here? What's really going on here? See, John said there's two ways going on. There's two things going on here in every situation. One, this world, it, it promises immediate satisfaction, but, but think, think, think about what, this isn't real. This, this is going gonna, gonna to make you feel good for about the next, I don't know, hour. And then what, what about afterwards? Think. It's going to destroy you. Think about that. And there's this other way that's right there. And Jesus says, it's my way. It's a better way. It's a harder way. It's a tougher way. I remember one of those testimonies said, listen, I want, I'm, I'm choosing the harder road, the, 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 the difficult road. There are times in your life, situations, you're going to find yourself, opportunities present themselves to you. And your eyes and your flesh and your emotions and your feelings and your egos are all going to come together and they're going to say, do it. Go for it. Who cares? Just, just take care of yourself for once and just, just go for this. I, you know what? I think if this story were rewritten today, someone would make a movie out of the life of Joseph, it would be written like this. It would be, here's a good young man who's had a horrible life, and then here's this lonely, neglected woman who deserves to be loved, and then, then we go to commercial and we come back, and she's swimming in the pool, and he's working in the garden with his shirt off, and then they run into each other, and there's this mad, passionate sex in the garage, and, and, we, and you know what? And all of this in the, in, the, in the living room or in the theater, we're going, yes, it's forbidden, but... I'm glad they did that. I mean, really, I have found myself watching TV, watching movies going, go do it. Go for it. Go for it. And here's the thing is, it's fiction. It's not real. It's not true. Well, what am I supposed to do then? Look what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, he says this, we demolish blow it up. We demolish arguments and every pretension, every arrogance, every stubborn refusal that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. You know what the knowledge of God is? It's what's real. There's this this thing that's setting itself up going, that's not real. It is. Demolish those things that say, hey, following God, that's not real. Doing this over here, that's what's real. And what? And take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. See, when you're confronted with a choice, a decision, I want to do this, I shouldn't do this, but I want to do this. Yeah, don't you have conversations in your head when you're tempted? I mean, you never say them out loud, but this is mine. If I do this, this might happen, but maybe it won't happen this time. And after all, if, if my wife or my husband or whatever were doing what they were supposed to do, then I wouldn't be in this situation in the first place. So really, this is kind of understandable, and I wouldn't be tempted. It's really, you know, I'm only going to do this one time, hmm, whatever. And, and here's the one. And God will forgive me, and God, please just don't watch the next you know, hour or so, okay? And I'll check back in with you later. Anybody have that conversation in their head? Paul says, listen, your mind starts running down that trail. You got to put on the brakes. Because it will. It'll go faster and faster. So you've got to take it captive and grab onto it, put on the brakes and bring it back to the reality of Christ. He's saying, think about this. Think about what's right. Think right about it. Think about what this is going to cost. Sex over here never helped anything over there. Ever. Ever. Think about what's true. Think about the guilt you're going to feel 30 seconds if that, after you're finished having sex. Think, think about the panic you're going to feel every time the phone rings tomorrow. Is it her? Is it him? The fear that every time your wife says your name, says we need to talk, oh, busted. Think about the sick feeling you're going to feel. And some of us have had that feeling when you have to sit down on the side of your bed and go, um, it's not you. I'm just not going to live here for a while. Think, think about that. Because that's reality. And if that's not enough, and let's take it to the deepest level. If you go in that door, 
consciously go in that door knowing what you're about to do, you're choosing to embrace the very sin that nailed your Savior to a cross. Now, let me explain that. It's one thing to embrace the cross and cling to the cross on the back end of your sin. I'm sorry, I made a mistake, God, please forgive me. That's one thing. And that's covered. It's something else, the Bible says, and the Bible uses this word, to disgrace the cross on the front end by knowingly taking the cross and tossing it aside because it stands in the way of what you want to do. Isn't that a hard statement? Does it make you feel uncomfortable for me to say that? Why? Why does it make you uncomfortable to say, we're not, you know, listen, if you need Jesus to forgive your sins, that's one thing. But to take the cross of Jesus and throw it out of the way so you can do what you want to do, that's something else. Why does that make you feel, um, I don't know how I feel about that statement. Because when you put it that way, it kind of seems like I'm choosing to kind of use Jesus as a loophole to do what I want to do because I'll just ask for forgiveness later. That's grace, right? No, that's sin. That, that, that's, that's sin. I'm going to clear up something. This is a hard teaching. This is probably the hardest teaching. Last week, this week, it all applies. This week, having sex with somebody you're not married to, if you're married or if you're single, if it's a mixture of one of each. Last week, talking about same-sex attraction, and next week when we're teaching about divorce. Listen, we talk about grace a lot in here, don't we? Aren't you glad? And we're going to continue to talk about grace in here. The promise that God... From God that your past or your present or your future mistakes don't disqualify you. Grace is amazing. All that's true. We're going to keep teaching that in here. All right? But grace and the promise of forgiveness are in no way permission for you to ditch God's word and teachings and go ahead and sin anyway. That's from the pits of hell. I'm going to do what I want to do because he'll forgive me anyway. God didn't bring you and I in here to make us feel guilty. God, God drew us in here tonight because we are guilty. Guilty of telling him to get out of our life. And grace is not permission to go ahead and continue to live a guilty life. Grace pulls us out of our guilt. Let me put it really plainly, all right? If you hear the word grace, and we say it a lot in here a lot, but when you hear the word grace, there's part of you that gets really, really, really happy because you think that kind of opens up the possibility that you can do anything you want, but you've got to get out of hell free card in your back pocket so you're going to do what you want, then you don't understand grace. And maybe you never really understood or truly embraced what Jesus did on a cross for you. See, it's one thing to make a mistake. The Bible would call that the occasion of sin. We've all done that. And grace has you covered. But it's something else to trust and embrace Jesus and then continue to embrace the very thing that put him on the cross in the first place. It doesn't work. Does that make sense? I mean, think, all right, whether you're a believer or not, all right? Does it make sense that God would allow his son to be crucified on a cross so that you could go on sinning? Does that make sense at all? At all? I mean, Paul, listen, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he goes really strong. He says, it would be better for you to, to go and fully embrace sin Rather than try to ride both sides of the fence, go out there and just live it. Go for it. Blow out your life. And then when it breaks your heart, then you're ready to come back to God and go, could I have grace now? It's just, grace is permission to go on sinning. Grace is not God saying, do anything you want, live any way you choose. Grace is the promise of forgiveness for all your wrong choices, not permission to keep on making wrong choices. 
Let that sink in a little bit. That's hard. If you walk out here going, I don't know how I feel about that, then I said it right. Because <laughs> it's tough. Let's get back to this, all right? You have to think right. And when you find yourself tempted, here's the other thing. You got to choose God. You have to choose God. Not because you feel like it. Not because you've been led there. I don't know what that means. I'm just led to choose. No, I mean, listen. You choose God today, and then you choose him again five minutes from now, and then an hour from now, and then tomorrow morning, and then when Potiphar's wife shows up in your life, you choose over again and over and over and over and over again. You choose to run the other direction. You choose to run to God. Joseph chose God. He said, I'm not going to sell out to my feelings at the moment. I'm not going to sell out my integrity. I'm not going to say, God's going to understand and forgive me anyway. Joseph waited out. Trust God. Or an hour with Mrs. Potiphar. I'm choosing God. Now, I'm not trying to be flippant here. The right choice here is obvious, but that doesn't mean it's easy. It's, 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 it's life and death. Jesus knew that. He, he was talking about this in Matthew chapter 5 one time, and he kind, of, he kind of compared it to this. Listen to this, all right? This is just kind of, I think the whole crowd just kind of went pale and some people fainted, but listen to this. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, I mean, every time you look at something, it just takes you down that road of sin. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. And all the men went, where are you going? Where are you going with this teaching? All right. It's better for you to lose one part of your body. Oh, no. All right than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. He goes on. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Cut it, cut it off. Throw it away. It'd be better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. Now, I might be wrong here. I don't think God's saying, you know what? If you run into sexual temptation, yeah, no, no. I, maybe it was. <laughs> maybe that would help. I don't know. But, you know, let's say, here's the truth that you and I both know. The problem's not in our pants. It's in our heart, right? Just to put it kind of crudely. Isn't that true? I think what he's saying is um, walking away from certain temptations, especially sexual ones, is going to be as difficult as cutting off part of your own body. That if the infection spreads, it's, it's going to destroy you. Now, that's true, isn't it? And as I've talked to people over the last few weeks who found themselves in or about to be in an affair or a sexual relationship or even last week, some of the conversations I had, people trying to figure out, what am I going to do with this teaching? You know, the most common response I've had back with people that are weighing this, you know, do I choose God? Do I choose truth? Do I, what do I do? The most frequent com- comment I've gotten back is, I don't know if I can do that. I'm going to want to, but I don't know if I can do that. Do you remember a few years ago, there's that, that hiker, Aaron Ralston, who, who was pinned under that boulder, and uh, he was there like three or four days starving to death. He had to come to this decision. I, I have two choices, die or cut off my own arm. Remember that? And so he's, he's sitting there going, all right, what, what am I going to do? And he tried every other option available to him, and none of it worked. So finally, I read his story this past this week. He said a prayer, he broke his own arm, and then he cut through the soft tissue, and he walked out, and he lived. I think that's exactly what we're talking about tonight. There are some choices in our life that we're going to be forced to make. We didn't ask for them. We didn't go looking for them. They just showed up in our life. And walking away from them, leaving them behind, is as tough as life and death. But life and death is on the line. So let me close with this. What are you facing in your life right now? There's a person in your life. There's a situation there's an opportunity and there's a high probability that if you let this thing keep going and going and going the way it's going, 
you're going to end up in a place. You're going to end up on the other side of a door that you do not want to go. And you know God doesn't want that for you. I'll just leave you two things. One, think. Stop and think. The Bible says it this way. Do you not know? Have you forgotten? Think. And don't just think. Think right. I know how you feel. It doesn't say feel. It says think. Use your brain. What is it that you really need? What is it you're really looking for? And I tell you, God tells you, it's not in there. It's not in there. That will kill you. Spiritually, relationally, maybe physically. Think. And the other thing would be just choose God. You know, don't, don't go, I choose God, but I don't know if I can do that. And it'd be really hard. And I don't know if that's even a possibility for my life. No, choose God and then say, God, I'm choosing you. So keep your word and give me the power to do what you're telling me to choose, what you're commanding me to do. Now, I'm done. Let me, let me, I'm going to kind of quiz you to see if you understand tonight, if you get this. Let me, let me tell you if you get this. If there's part of you sitting in this, in your chair right now, And you can't wait for the last song to be over so you can go use these Bible verses against someone. If you're saying, oh, when I get home, my husband is going to get an earful and I'm going to tell him or my friend or Monday at work, I'm going to bring these Bible verses and go and see you. You're going to hell and you're a sinner and you're not under grace. If 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 that's even anywhere in your brain right now, you missed it. This is not about your neighbor This is not about your husband, your wife, what your parents ought to do or what your kids should do or the guy at work ought to do. I'm talking about one person tonight, you and God. What's God saying to you about this? Think. Think. Choose God. We're going to close with this this last song, all right? And And here it is. This is a song we sing all the time, but... Here's the thing is, if you're sitting in here going, yeah, but Jim, you don't know my life. I mean, if my marriage was the way it was supposed to be, then this wouldn't even be a temptation. And if, and if somebody, you know, would, you know, ask me out or if someone would just stay and keep their word and if my, this hadn't happened and this, then maybe. If, if you find yourself at this motel door, I'm telling you, turn around and sing this song. It goes like this. Um, all of you is more than enough for all of me. For every thirst and every need, God, um, right now my marriage isn't satisfying me and my relationships and my boyfriend and that's not satisfying. You satisfy me with your love and all I have in you. That's enough, more than enough. You're my supply. You're my breath of life. And if that's not enough, still more awesome than I can ever know. You're my reward. That was supposed to be my reward, but it's not working out for me. So you're my reward. You're worth living for. More awesome than I know. You're my sacrifice. I could have Mrs. Potiphar or I could have you. I, I choose you. Still more awesome than I know. You're the coming. You're my king. You're my everything. Because everything else has let me down. You're my thing. Still more awesome than I know. Let's, let's pray that. God, um, we come to you tonight and we just confess to you. We're at a crossroads. 
We're not throwing stones at our husband, our wife, our boyfriend, our girlfriend, this person in our life, what our parents should have done or ought to have done. Or whatever. We're just saying, hey, I've got to work some stuff out with you. God, there is a door. It may not be an affair, but it's something, but it might be an affair. And I'm sitting here right in front of the door. I'm reaching for the handle right now, God. And if I go in there, turn me around, God. I choose you. I don't even have enough power to walk out of this motel by myself. Walk with me, God. And if I lose everything, things is really painful. If this means a hard conversation with my family or a counselor or a pastor or whatever that is, if that means I have to get on my knees, God, and just spend all night just wrestling with you about this, God, that would be all right because you're more than enough. Remind me of that tonight, God. In Jesus' name, amen.